What up, y'all? It's Michael Sean, a.k.a. Everybody's Fired Me, a.k.a. My ex-wife divorced me, a.k.a. Listen, man, I love my kids, but I'm not paying no child support. But understand, it goes down. Real life street stars. They put me on the couch. I made it happen. And I hope I ain't got no problems in the streets after this. Yeah! Real life street stars. Everybody start clapping right now. Oh, Michael Sean in the building. What's going on, brother? What's good? What's good? Y'all got me. I'm on, the, I'm on the infamous couch. Yeah. Right here. A lot of shit has been talked on this couch. A lot of shit. A lot of drugs been sold on this couch. A lot of drugs been done on this couch. A whole... I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I'm glad I'm off probation. Ooh. Like real talk. Ooh. Like I feel like if I was still on probation, I this could be a violation right now. This Ooh. could be a violation. So quick question. Uh a person finds an eight ball laying around, doesn't wanna, you know, doesn't wanna uh uh you know keep it. He sells it for twenty to five dollars or something. Does that make him a drug dealer? Let's say he's a rapper. Can he say that I sold drugs in my past? Can he say that? Technically. <laughs> technically. Technically, he can't. <laughs> or she can't. Yeah, she can't. But in reality, if you ever, like, I've never been a person, but I've had family members. Yeah. Like, family members will say, you ain't do shit. You just got lucky and you, you caught something. You, you got lucky. <laughs> you caught something and you did something and everything like that. But technically, technically? in hip hop right now, you could say I was pushing weight. <laughs> you could say I was pushing weight and I risked my life. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of stories out there where like one situation went down, like I had to get rid of it. I had to get rid of it. <laughs> hey, I my, had to. Hey, I was, I was, I was knee deep in the streets. Because <laughs> I think I sold weed for like, I think I was like 17. We sold, we sold, being a drug dealer is hard. Hey. <laughs> People don't know. It's, it's on demand. It's like, a being a drug dealer is the original DoorDash. Like, in real life. Like, you really have to be on, like, on everybody else's schedule. Man. And I, I didn't know that at 17. I had no idea at 17 that if somebody needed some weed, and I'm old, so back in the day, you literally had to drive and get to wherever you had to go to. I did that for, like, three weeks. Oh, man. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. What are your thoughts when you see, like, weed back in the day where it was just, you know, what's considered Reggie now? All the, you know, synthetic weeds now and the, uh, you know, the Kush, the, uh, the uh, what they got, Popper. I don't know what the names of. Uh, he's a better, he's a better weed kind of sort of me. What was the name of Cat Piss, Agent Orange, Obama. That's some brand new shit, the Obama. Gary Payton. The Gary Payton, I got the Gary Payton. That the Gary Payton I, I know about. What was the other one you said? There was another name you said. Catfish, Agent Orange. The catfish, I never had the, never had the catfish. Gorilla Glue. No, I ain't, I ain't it's, familiar. It's, it's a bunch of dumb I, names. I ain't familiar. You, you, What's your thoughts when you hear all these names of what used to just be, hey, bro, can you got some weed? No, we we super creative. <laughs> like, we super creative on, on because I don't even know what, which one. You just named, like, seven of them. I don't even know which one was the strongest one. Now, here's the one they hit you with to now, Za. What was that? Za, za, za. Yeah, that sound. That sound like like when you do it, you might catch syphilis at the same time. Like, no, za, za. Everybody yeah. trying to make shit sexy. They be, like, they be like, man, you ain't got no real za. No real za. Real za, because you know, once you get the real, once you get the real stuff, everybody else be having the fake stuff. Only one person can have a real 
stuff. Everybody else is just fake. So that's how. <laughs> but the fact, like, I, I, there were some young boys who said they ordered their weed online. That's when I knew I was old. <laughs> when they could order the shit online, and I was like, "You lying?" And they were like, "Nah." And they took me to the site that you could order it and get it FedExed or UPS or whatever, and you could literally get it mailed to you. And that, that's when I knew things was fucked up because I'm thinking, I know people still in jail, still in prison for, for selling a little bit of weed and you can do it online now. No, don't, don't get it twisted. If you get caught picking that box up with that weed in it, you're going down. Oh, it's not legal? <laughs> it's not legal. This fucking couch is this fucking couch that got me snitching. No, no, wait, 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 wait. No, it this was, couch got me snitching. God damn. That was a situation when I went to Vegas and I went to a spot called Med Men. And I walked in and it was like the Target of weed. Like a lady's at the door greeting you. How you doing, sir? Would you like to see the different samples we got? You could smell. What city was that? This was Las Vegas. And oh, I, well, that's different. Yeah, it's different. But the fact yeah. that it was just so elegant. Everyone, the, the the workers were wearing like the same clothing. Of course. Like, the, you know, the lights were not. I'm like, it's just very nice in there. I'm like, bro, I feel like the upper echelon weed buying. Like, no, I thought prostitution was horrible, right? I, I thought like if you got if you got a prostitute, that was hard. When you went to Vegas. I was in Vegas in the middle of the day. They were giving out flyers. Man, flyers. Handing like out back, this is how old I am. They was handing out flyers to go to the Bunny Ranch that... My man Lamar Odom got, they was handing out flyers in the middle of the day. And I was like, I thought this was illegal. They were like, no, you in Vegas. Man, they will hand you a flyer if you're walking with your child in your hand. They we'll will talk. Say, you know, just in case. They, they'll just look at you and nod. No, like, that's facts. Those are facts. Those are facts. Shout <laughs> out to Vegas. Yeah, shout out to Vegas, man. We have Michael Sean in the building. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, what we usually like to do for everybody deaf, dumb, stupid, living up under the rock is, you know, just let them know how you got to start in the industry. What do you currently, what do you do? What did you do? What are you currently doing? Things that nature, but, you know, you want, you're a very uh, successful comedian. So we just want to know how you got your start in the game. That's what I'm, I'm going to keep it real brief because I, I know people really don't give a fuck. But I started, like, actually... I was a rapper. I was rapping my entire life. Hip hop has been my entire life. No, it was Mike. It, the funny thing, it was still MC Michael Sean. So I kept Michael Sean the entire time. The reason why I was able to do comedy was because of hip hop. Because I was always on stage rapping and doing stuff like that. So when I first did an open mic, my ex-wife had taken me. She, she was being productive in her life. She went to NYU. She was doing her graduate situation. I was just a loser that was hanging out. And then um, we went to a comedy club and at the comedy club, there was a dude performing named Roberto Vanderpool, who's actually part of Tracy Morgan's tour right now. Oh, dope, dope. So as I'm watching him perform, I stopped listening and I started thinking what I would say on stage. And then I did. I went to the bar and I said, how do you do this? And they were like, go to open mic. You pay like seven dollars. Go to open mic, open mic in the middle of the day. And then you can start from there. So I called out of work, paid my $7. They said, do three minutes. Mm. I had one joke. They laughed once. And at that moment, when I walked out, I realized I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. What was that joke? Do you remember it? I don't even want to tell this. This was a horrible fucking joke, yo. Well, they laughed. All right, just to let you know how old I am. I don't even know if anybody in this room remembers uh, when they did Live Aid. 
when it was like, we are the world. That oh, yeah, I remember. Yes, we, we remember that. Okay, so they did a whole concert on getting food to Ethiopia. That's and my ignorant ass was like, I found out all they brought to them was rice. Oh, damn. So I was like, you know how disappointed these Ethiopians had to be thinking of all the shit we got in America, like, you know, chicken, ribs, and all that other shit. Yeah. And I did that joke, and I was like, they were disappointed. To see, y'all ain't even laugh. Fuck y'all. But listen. <laughs> but. <laughs> but they laughed. Like, they laughed at how disappointed. I did the whole accent. I can't even do it right now. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. That's amazing. And the funny thing is, I tell people all the time, can you imagine if you sold people right now, how much you would make if you told somebody, when you walk in here, you're going to leave, and you're going to know exactly what you want to do with the rest of your life. Ooh, that's tough. You could charge as much as you wanted. But when I walked out of there, I literally met, I went to go pick up uh, my ex-wife at the time. Well, not at the time, but I, I picked her up. And I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And she was like, she gave me that look like, you know, that's cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had no idea I was going to quit my job like a few months later. And I, and I just ran with it. Yeah, now you got to believe in yourself. And then I just ran, did Showtime at the Apollo, did BET Comic View. And within like seven months... I was on. Now, I'm not telling y'all to quit y'all job. Yeah. I'm just saying this is how it happened for me. And 25 years later, I'm here. How many people were in that first crowd to get a reaction? How many? Just as it was like 20 of the most bitter fucking comedians in the world. It was an open mic. Yeah. So it was a bunch of comedians who hadn't, but they was like, I think I was 23 years old. So there was like 50 year olds in there and they were, they were looking at me and they laughed at that one joke and then refused to laugh the next two minutes. But at that point, I was already gassed up. I'm, I'm good. There you go. And that was it. Uh, for comedians, it's always a question of how do you get in the game? Like you said, Apollo, uh, Comic View. Was there any mentorship you had um, as far as anybody that put you in the game? Any any hand, you know, where they, someone from up high grabbed down and said, I like Michael Sean, I'm going to pull him up during that during the first seven months. There wasn't really, there was a one guy named Wyatt, the one man riot. Now, if you remember Def Jam, Def yes. Jam, when comedians would go on in the beginning, would get like 15 minutes. Yeah. They would get a set on there. Yeah. And Wyatt was this, he was, he was a comedian and he was also, this is so crazy, I can't believe I'm actually remembering this. He was a firefighter at the same time. Big dude, like an intimidating dude. But he was super nice. And he said, Mike, this is what you're going to do. Go do this open mic. And then I started doing comedy shows. He's like, you're not that good, but you, you had the potential to be good. Then 9-11 happened. He was one of the uh, first responders on 9-11. Yeah. And I actually called him to see if he was all right. And it was like, he was good. That was the last time I spoke to him. But he was probably the one per I've had other people who've helped me throughout a comedian named Talent. If you haven't heard of talent, then you don't know you don't know comedy. Uh, uh, Kevin Hart was somebody who actually we we came up together in Philly at the Laugh House, and uh, Kevin put me on some of the most horrible shows ever. But that's before Kevin Hart was Kevin Hart. You know, Kevin Hart was going to be Kevin Hart. I, honestly speaking, what were your thoughts early on of Kevin Hart and his comedy to where he was going to go? Kevin Hart did a show for me. Kevin Hart was always funny, but he was super silly. He was a silly, like, Kevin Hart, what was his original fucking name? It was uh, The Bastard, uh, some Little Bastard. Oh, damn, I don't know. His original name was like Little Bastard or something. This is funny, because Kevin Hart 
booked me on shows and Kevin Hart went with me to Boston. We did a show in Boston. He was my opener. And we went up to Boston, did something. And that's so funny. That motherfucker really opened for me. He's, he's doing a lot better than me right now. But I will say, though, we did the show in Boston. But Kevin always had something. Because Kevin was, his confidence is on two million. Like, Kevin is going to do what he does. And he always stayed consistent. He was like, he really, truly didn't give a fuck. Like, he really went all the way in. And, and, and I will say this about Kevin. I saw Kevin, every time I see him, he never changes. Like, I know he's worth probably, like, whoever knows. Like, at this point, he's probably 200 million. Who, who knows? But Kev, like, if I saw him right now, would talk to me exactly the way we talked when we was doing shots at the Laugh, the laugh House in Philly. Awesome. I was just gonna ask because two hundred million makes some shit change in your life, especially how you perceive people that you used to deal with. But he, but like everything that everybody says, everything on the outskirts. Mm -hmm. My personal experience with him, like dog. One time when I was working, I was at K one hundred four, and I said I know Kevin Hart. So they challenged me. They were like, since you know Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart was doing, you know, he's all into the workout shit. So he was he was doing some um, thing where he would go to every city and he would run like, I don't know, a half a mile, whatever it is, whatever he would run to every city. They're like, if you know Kevin Hart, since you know him so well and y'all was in Philly, go meet him and get us tickets for the show. And I sat there like a dickhead and I was like, all right, I'll do it. Knowing that I hadn't talked to Kevin for like probably like two, three years. Yeah. So I went there with a backpack, had my little radio station shirt on and shit, and, and I finagled my way in, and security's like, you can't go through here. And I said, I use, sorry, Kev. I said, I, I'm Kevin Hart's friend. They were like, yeah, whatever. And I sat there, and I was standing. I, I finagled my way through, and I saw the uh, navigator, Escalade, whatever, coming through. So he came out. He comes out the Escalade, and... um. I'm going to say pause, even though you shouldn't say pause. I made eye contact with him and I looked and he looked at me and he said, oh shit, Mike. And I said, thank God. <laughs> I said, I said, my dude, I said. Was anyone with you like this? No, there was somebody with me. There was somebody from the radio station, an intern that was with me. Yeah. And I was like, Whew. and then I looked at security. I said, I told you I knew this motherfucker. <laughs> and Kev was like, yo, let him through, let him through. Like he was aggressive. He said, let him through. And then we did a interview after he ran. He ran the thing. I didn't run. Then we got in the, into the truck and the first thing he said, he said, he said, you ain't run. And I was like, nah, I ain't run. He said, you a bitch. You ain't run for real. He said, I shouldn't do this fucking interview with you. Right? <laughs> I was like, Kev. So we did the interview. And I said, after we did the interview, I told him what was going on with the station. They challenged me. And he was like, yo, I'm going to get you these tickets for everybody on the show. It's going to be the front row. It's going to be the front row. You're going to be there. And I got you. So as he's on stage... God, I'm, I'm so groupy right now. As he's on stage, we at the, where the Mavericks play. So it's sold out as usual. And I'm sitting there and he's telling a joke. And he says, he looks to me, goes, ain't that right, Mike? Dog, I was a bitch for real. I said, yes. <laughs> and, he, and everybody was like, yo, you really know this motherfucker. But that, to me, my experience with Kevin Hart, that's how he's always been. He doesn't change for people that he knows. Yeah. Like yeah. he's never changed. 
And thank you, Kevin. Yeah, thank now, you so I much. was at a, he was filming a movie uh, like a month ago. I was at the taping of the movie in Vegas. You uh, trying to top my story? No, no. Trying, no I'm I'm saying, like, to yeah. add to it, the Paper Cup Boys, um, he like, don't, I don't I don't know the Paper Cup Boys. And I, I don't know if they changed. I know, yeah. Yeah, but he, he the way he rides for them and with them, I'm like, I don't know these guys, but. These but those were his people for real. Naeem and Spank, those are those dudes that were sitting in Philly that were rocking with him. Like the Plastic Cup Boys, literally, this is not some bullshit. Like those were the dudes around him for real. Wow. And he said, come on out. And he took them out there and Spank and Naeem, like he don't get enough, like I'm not trying to cake for the dude or whatever because I know what goes on when you get that big. Yeah. But those are the real day ones that were with him at the comedy club when we were all getting paid $50 a show. Man. If that. Sometimes yeah. we were doing a show for free. Yeah. I'm curious. Uh, for You said you were born in New York, mm -hmm. uh, but lived and grew up in Jersey, South mm -hmm. Jersey. Mm -hmm. Who would you say was some comedians that made it out of your neck of the woods? Um, you know, as far as that might have been coming up around the time you were coming up as well. Or maybe before you. I mentioned talent, J.B. Smooth. If you don't know who J.B. Smooth is, then you curb your enthusiasm and all that. Uh, Kevin Hart, Michael Blackson, Mike Epps. Like, I booked Mike Epps for shows. Oh, wow. Like, Mike, Mike Epps is like, and I love the fact with guys like that, like Mike Epps. Mike Epps really hasn't changed a bit. Yeah, we can see at times. Like, Mike Epps is really that, like, he's really that dude. Like, Mike Epps came to, to New York City. I'll never forget, because um, when Mike Epps hit New York City, he was killing stuff and everything like that. But Mike Epps never tried to adapt to the New York lingo. Where he, he never, he never, you would never hear Mike Epps, like, what up, son? What up, B? Like, he never tried to adapt. Like, Mike Epps was Mike Epps. And he, sometimes I wouldn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Like, he would say shit, and I'd be like, what? what I, like, we ain't had no internet. We ain't have Instagram. We ain't have TikTok and all that shit to find out what the other part of the country was talking about. Like, whatever words. But Mike Epps came out there. Um, Donnell, shout out to Donnell Rollins from D.C. came out there. And the funny thing is, when I was really, like, young, I did a show at a comedy club called the New York City Comedy Club. And there was a guy named Dougie Doug who was in the second Cosby show. There was a Cosby show that was on CBS after the original one that was on NBC that ran for a while. There was Dougie Doug and it was a guy named Dave Chappelle. And they and I knew like all we heard back in the day. Once again, there's no social media. So all the word is Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, J.B. Smoove and all these guys. And they needed a ride to the next comedy show which was the Boston Comedy Club, which no longer exists in New York. And they, they got in my Nissan Sentra. So Dave Chappelle was in my car. I'm so groovy. Get, get they were like, yo, can you give us a ride? Because they saw me get in the car. They were like, can you give us a ride? I said, yeah, I'll give you a ride. I didn't know it was, it was fucking Dave Chappelle was sitting there and we didn't even talk. Like he, we just turned the radio on, dropped him off and we got off and I went to the comedy club. I think he went, the Boston Comedy Club was here. And the comedy cellar was around the corner and he walked to the comedy cellar and I didn't even know who I really, I knew who I had, but I didn't know who was really the legendary iconic Dave Chappelle was there. And I had a stick shift. How about that? Pause. <laughs> I was literally on some hope, but that was Dave. What do you think about when Dave Chappelle gets those Netflix deals? Um, 
you feel like that's probably the best because he doesn't have to do movies no more. Just to get those Netflix deals to put out these specials, would you say that's the most lucrative move a comedian has made that you've seen? I think it is, but I also think, gen like for real, for real, like when people throw around that word genius, Dave doesn't have to make you laugh. Dave Chappelle can literally just sit here and talk to you, and you'll sit there and be like, "Fuck," and you want to applaud him after. Right. Whether I know a lot of people find like, something in there, but. But he'll say something that you'll, and it pisses you, as a comedian, it pisses you off because you'll be like, I saw the same thing you saw. I saw the same fucking thing you saw. Why didn't I think of what you thought of to say? Like, to me, that's amazing that at, at this point, Dave Chappelle could do a lecture tour. He could, yes. He could do a lecture tour and just go to every university and just do a lecture tour and, and everybody, it would sell out. No, that's without question. Without question. He's like the Karis one. abilities, yeah, are like Karis one. Who do you feel is the biggest comedian right now? The biggest comedian? Shit. Um, I think Kev is still, I mean, Kev's numbers are like astronomical. Like, I know it's been a while, but oh, Kev sold out a fucking football stadium. Oh, yeah. Like, when I heard His he tours. was going yeah, when I, heard he was gonna do, when I heard he was going to do a football stadium, I said, it don't make no sense. Like, he played, he actually performed where the Eagles play. Dave Chappelle can do the same thing, but the biggest, I don't know right give me, now. Give us top five, would you say? Top five. Here you go to bullshit. <laughs> Here you go to bullshit with the top five. <laughs> First of all, it's all, it's all subjective. Always. It's all subjective. It's all who... Who you fuck with? Like who, who relates? Yeah, who do you who relates with? to yeah. you? Um, if I don't put Richard Pryor, I think Richard Pryor set everything off for us. Without question. Um, you put Richard Pryor. You put Bill. Listen, whatever Bill Cosby putting them bitches drinks. Listen, man, it's wrong. wrong. I shouldn't have said bitches. <laughs> um, it's wrong and whatever. But Bill Cosby literally did a special that formulated a whole fucking iconic series. Like the Cosby show was based on him doing in that brown suit, him doing an entire hour or whatever and formula. So it has to be that I would put Red Fox in there. Oh, come on. Um, yeah. George Carlin. Where am I at? Four? Yeah, we're at four. George Carlin. I don't want to say he slept on. Dog, if you go watch. need to go back and watch it. If you watch George Carlin on YouTube, Right now, what he said years ago is happening right now. Right. It's actually happening right now. And then, oh, number five. I don't know who I'm going to put number five. Jesus. I'm missing somebody. I'm going to regret this when I look back on it. Who am I missing? They probably just throw someone in there. Uh, Runner up. <laughs> Gets moved. No, I hate, I hate them top fives. I hate doing the top fives with rappers and everything like that. But, um, Damn, who am I missing? I put Dave in there, right? You didn't put Dave in there. No, Dave. Dave Chappelle. Okay. Right. Then I have to put him in there because he, he's iconic. What is your favorite Dave Chappelle skit? Damn. It's not even... A, first of all, his show was so fucking amazing. The Chappelle show was so... When he put Wayne Brady on there. Man, what the fuck? <laughs> when he put Wayne Brady on there, I thought that was so genius to put him on there, but You put I think, that over to Rick, uh, Rick James and uh, Charlie Murphy? But see, I take that, for me, Charlie Murphy 
his stories made that. Oh, yeah. okay. Like Charlie Murphy, like if you've ever, shout out to God bless, rest in peace, Charlie Murphy. If you've ever had the honor of actually interviewing Charlie Murphy, like the genius was somebody finally took, because when I interviewed, I would just sit there after the interview was over, he'd keep talking. And you'd be like, yo, this is crazy. And Dave took that and made it happen. Wayne Brady, the Wayne Brady. And it's not just one bit. It's that whole transgender thing that he got into on Netflix. I thought the way he handled that was so direct. And it just it showed me when you have, like, stand up for the shit that you think. What's the point of making a gang of money? if you still gonna shut the fuck up when they want you to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, what's the point? If you still gonna be that person who's gonna be like, okay, I'm just gonna go with the flow because you guys told me to, then there was no point of making all this money. Like, he made all the money, lost all the money, made all the money again, and I was like, and I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong. I'm saying stand up for the shit that you really think, if this is how I feel, I'm gonna say it. There's no point of having 60 million in the bank if I'm still be a bitch when it comes to when you ask me my opinion. Like if you do this interview, like I told you before we started the interview, if you interview me later and I'm worth 50 million, I'm telling you this interview is gonna be different. <laughs> this shit's gonna be different. <laughs> How did you get to Dallas? I was unemployed. Okay. Um, I was at Hot 97. With a lady named uh, Miss Jones in the morning. She's in New York right now. I was doing radio, and um, we got we technically didn't get fired for Hot 97. They did something that they normally don't do for radio personalities. They let us leave, so they let us have a show where we brought people on. And it was like goodbye and everything like that. It was like a contract negotiation. I didn't know the behind the scenes of what really went on. So then a girl named Kendra G from that I work with in yeah. Philly. And we were just cool. This, this, hold on, let me give y'all a, te- a, a little nugget. It's so easy not to be an asshole to people. Me and Kendra, I would get off the radio and I was just cool with her. And we would have conversations and we would just talk. I was just being nice, just being nice. Like nobody gives credit to people for being nice. Right. So we'd have conversations. So afterwards, I got fired. She got released like a few years later. I think I had like $200 in the bank. Just true story. I got a mortgage, a fiance, three kids. Ooh, and I'm like me. I'm, I'm, I'm str- yeah, I'm struggling right now. At like 10 o'clock at night, she calls me. I'm like, Kendra. She's like, Mike, this is opening in Dallas. And they offering it to me, but I can't take it because she got a gig in Chicago. And she was like, now, mind you, my whole life, even though I traveled around the country, my whole life has been based in New York, Jersey, and Philly. And she says, um, would you go to Dallas? In my mind... Have you been to Dallas before? No. Okay. In my mind, I'm like, fucking no. But my bank account said fucking yes. Like, I'm like, I'm down. Like, I'll go to Dallas. Down 30. <laughs> now, I'll go right now. She's like, well, they're going to they're gonna call you. But I'm thinking she's bullshitting. I'm like, they're going to call me and they're just going to what? Everything Kendra G said, they did. They called me. They gave me an audition to come out here to Dallas. They said, we're going to give you three days. We're going to pay for you because I had no way to get out there. I was, I was fucked for real. Like everything was really on some bad shit right now. And 
I was like, all right. So they, they flew me out here. I got out here. I've been to Dallas just one time. I'm blind. I've been here once. I did a college out here. I forget what it was. It was a white college. It was crazy and whatever. I didn't know the Bible belt and all. Like <laughs> They was mad at me for the shit I said. And whatever. <laughs> so when I got out here, I never turned the radio on because I didn't want it was Didi in the morning and they were going to have me audition. But I didn't want to turn the radio on because I never want to try and fit in. I like, I want to be who I am. If you like me, you like me. If you don't, you know, it's probably a bad idea. But <laughs> I got this rental car. And when I got the rental car at that point, it was like seven o'clock at night. And the first person I heard on the radio was Cat Daddy. Wow. Now you hear the way I talk. I'm not from here. When I heard him on the radio, I said, they're going to fucking hate me. I said, I don't even know some of the shit, like the words that he's used. I don't even know what he's talking about. Like, and he was like, he was doing his thing, but he, he was like a poet. Like, I was like, I don't know what he saw, but they're going to hate me. And I called my dad and I said, dad, I said, this is not going to work. I said, first of all, I have the most, either you like my voice or you hate my voice. I have this high pitch, irritating voice or whatever. It's animated, it's animated. And then, um, my dad was like, you got a job? I was like, no. He said, so you going to come home? I said, no. He said, you ain't got no fucking choice. Go do the audition. <laughs> he said, you ain't got no options. Like it or not. So I walk in there and I'm sitting there like, this is, I did three days on the second day of the audition. They offered me the job. Mind you, the whole time I'm thinking I'm not getting this job. That's pretty good. Like I already saw the hate on Twitter. So for those to know, who was before you on the morning show? Who was all part of that cast? Who were you replacing? Um, if any, if, if you were replacing anybody, and who was on the show, of course. Technically, I don't know who I was replacing. I just know I always heard about Skip Murphy, uh, Skip Cheatham, uh, Nanette. Yeah. I heard all these legendary stories on everybody who was making millions and, <laughs> and driving fancy cars and shit. And, but I'm from the East Coast, so I hate to say it, I was cocky like, I don't, like, that money ain't in my pocket, so who the fuck cares? But they were legendary. Like, everybody kept talking about these people, and I didn't know, I didn't know any of these people. So when I got the job, the second day they offered me the job, and I said, I'll take it. I didn't even negotiate. I, I was like, <laughs> I mean, we're down 30, we're down 40 now. I'm here. <laughs> I was like, just, I said, I'll take it. Yeah, I, I can live with that. And I tried to negotiate a little bit. I said, well, can we? And they were like, no, this is it. And I was like, cool, we're in. And this is the second day. No pushback. <laughs> there was no push. I had no attorney. I had no agent. I had nobody. I was just like, all right. I'm in. Yeah, that, yeah, that, and I remember them driving me back to the airport and they told me we were, uh, when you come back, we're going to do this thing called Kwanzaa Fest. Oh yeah, the Kwanzaa Fest? Kwanzaa Fest. So you're going to come back for Kwanzaa Fest and, you know, being a Puerto Rican, I was like, I... <laughs> Kwanzaa? And like, I heard of Kwanzaa, like, I heard, but I was like, we're going to do a Kwanzaa? I was like, all right. I was like, I'm cool. What color so, do I wear? So when I came back the first day, the first day when I got the job, it was Kwanzaa Fest at that, um... At the uh, facility, uh, what is what, it? What is it, Fair Park? Is it Fair Park? Yeah, the music Fair Park. Park. Fair yeah, yeah, music yeah. Park. and they put me on stage, and I was like, I didn't even know what to say. I didn't even know what part of the city is to shout out. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what, like, in New York, you're like, Brooklyn, where you at? Yeah, for real. Tyler's like, in the building. What? I was like, hi. That's all I did. <laughs> so, you mentioned you were at Hot 97. Uh, did you have a relationship with uh, DJ Envy? Yeah, me and DJ Envy actually worked together for like four years. Four years. It was Jonesy, me, DJ Envy. Shout out to DJ Envy. And um, 
New York, it was a different animal because I wasn't built for the drama that was going on in radio at the time. Man, it's drama in New York. I mean, it's, it's thick. Hey, every time I watch Anchorman and they, they go out and fight the, like Will Smith, you see all, all the other Anchorman. I think of New York radio like that. Like afterwards, they go meet in the parking lot. We, Dude, <laughs> when you're telling, when you're in New York, at that, at that moment, everything was New York. When you're told to, like Jonesy would be like, y'all, we're going to do a segment on Jay-Z, right? We're going to do the top five reasons why Jay-Z is this or this, that. And I'd write it and I'd say it and we'd do it. And, but, but you forget these motherfuckers are right there in the city. Like everybody can touch you. Word? In real, a word? Like, like for real, everybody, like when you went to Hot 97, there would be dudes at five o'clock in the morning with hoodies on, with their hoodies up, sitting outside the station. Damn. And you didn't know if that was bad or good. They, if they want you to do a mixtape or if they want, if they want smoke or whatever. When I tell you today, Jay Z and Beyonce came to the station. This is after doing like two years of talking shit, and Jay Z came to the station, and I'm walking in the hallway, and this motherfucker with the New York Yankee cap is walking this way. It's just me and him. <laughs> This is why. I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> I was a little scared. I was like, oh, shit. This motherfucker's here. And all he did was walk by and say my name. What up, Mike Sean? I said, oh. I was kind of happy that he knew my name. And with first and foremost? But he kept walking by. He, he just kept. But everybody could touch you. It was serious. Like, they were threats. When people made a threat on you, it wasn't a fake threat. Like, they could, like, all of a sudden going to a comedy show... Was ser- like I'm going to tell jokes. I'm like so when you see like a Charlemagne that situation where that happened where I guess some guys asked for his autograph and they end up like hitting him and he took off running. I'm assuming he's walking to he's, the radio. All he's doing is what all Charlemagne is doing is walking to work. Yeah, wow. And cats are coming to see you. That's and cool. and it, and it kind of sunk into me like wow this shit is real. But you have no because you're giving the people what they want. Like people want to hear this shit. But at the same time, you taking a chance on if you're gonna get touched at a club or you you could be at a goddamn, you can get a sandwich and all of a sudden somebody sees you and 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 they're like, okay, we're gonna get at you. I wasn't built for that. Like I was built for just telling these jokes, but after a while you start getting thick skinny, you realize this is what it is. If you want this check, this is what you're gonna have to deal with. That's real. Did you and um Envy have a personal relationship outside of radio? No, Envy, and uh, I will say this, like I've had a great relationship with Envy. Uh, one of my best friends went to jail and Envy bailed them out. So shout to you, Envy. Yeah, we still, I don't know if he ever paid you back for that, but. Uh, <laughs> still I owe you on the t- I, I, I don't know if Jay Black ever paid you back, but he, Envy, Envy was one of the dudes that really gave me a lot of, um, like he taught me, like what, he taught me like, yo, this shit is serious. Like you gotta understand, and DJ Envy was working at Def Jam when Jay-Z was the president. And we would sit there and literally talk shit about Jay and everything like that. And he had to go to work. I don't know how he did that, but shout to Envy, because obviously everything turned out right. But um, Envy schooled me on a lot of stuff. He schooled me on a lot of stuff on, on how to handle situations and what to say, what not to say, when to say it, when not to say it. And even with, even with all that, Sometimes you just fuck up. Ah, that's real. That's real. 
So you're in Dallas. You're on the morning show, and I don't think it's syndicated at this time. It's just in no, Dallas. it's not. It's just DFW. It's just DFW. And who's who's the co-host as you're there now? Who who's your? Is you D? me? Is Jade, Lady Jade, and Didi? And Didi. So it's just me and the ovaries. All right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And we're going to go through there, but overall, how many, because I think Jade, of course, she just left, but um, she was there for 19 years. How many years were you uh, were you on the morning show in, with Didi? According, you know, me and Jade are cool. Jade was like, you were there for nine. I thought I was there for eight, I, but Jade said, no, you were there for like nine to 10 years. So I almost made a decade. What are some highlights, moments, whether from... Uh, Artists that might have come in, that's come up, uh, you know, things that happen behind the scenes with the uh, with the K one hundred four family. What are some highlights, you know, overall as far as that? Some uh, other people you met uh, that you might have take from the the Dallas uh, morning radio. show? The highlights were the checks. <laughs> talk about <laughs> that. I'm talking about highlighting in yellow and purple, the <laughs> neon <were> the, blue. <laughs> I'm about, the highlights were the checks. Um. No, it's about the checks, but they so were. Was it ever hard work? Like, because again, I always figured waking up to do a morning show takes some discipline. Because you're waking up at what time? Uh, in the beginning, it was like five in the morning. Then, when everything got syndicated, it was like we had to wake up at like four thirty in the morning. Was so, that, did that ever cause any? Where does that was that? I mean, I'm sure it caused some pressures, but no, that's the hardest thing about doing the mornings. Is waking up at four thirty in the morning, especially when you're an alcoholic, because you've been partying. So at four thirty in the morning, you're still in last night mode. But waking up that early in the morning—that is the hardest part. If you know how to communicate yourself, if you know how to how to be transparent, and you know how to make people laugh, or whatever. The job really is easy. The hardest part is waking up that early in the morning because you're not even living a normal life. Right. Like you're living on the West Coast time. Like you waking up with it, y'all are asleep. And then you get there and they're like, be funny. And you're like, dude, it's five o'clock in the morning, but let's go. Be funny. Now, it's crazy you say that because, you know, I've hung out with, you know, plenty of radio, radio hosts. And um, I, I'll see them. At, we're at a club event and they're just having drinks. I'm like, man, I mean, looking at the clock, like, hey, you got to go on. Like, you know, it's Sunday night and Monday's here. Um, now, you mentioned alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you know, we're going we're gonna to touch on it. Um, it. Having having a drink, that's something I'm assuming you just did throughout your career, or was it something that got throughout my career, throughout my career, throughout my career. Was it ever a problem? Uh, it was always a problem. I mean, I'm talking about as a, as like when you're young, or like when you're like 20 in your 20s. No, in your t- let me correct okay. that. It wasn't a problem. We were having fun. At 23, 24, it's just we drinking. At 25, we just drinking. But then nobody tells because the money keeps coming in. So nobody's going to tell you you got a problem as long as you're performing. Nobody cares that you're drunk. As long as you're funny, they don't care. It's when the alcohol starts affecting you performing. That's when they start, they start getting into it. So when, when I came to Dallas, I think I was sober for two years when I got, got to Dallas. And then I was, I was chilling out here, and, and Dallas is a fun spot. Like It's, it's, it's a spot where you know, y'all, y'all get it popping. And... Um, and I didn't bring nobody out with me. So I was by myself. You came out solo? I came out Wait, solo. you said you had your fiance. She ain't come. Your three children. They ain't come. Wow. I mean, how did that dynamic work? Uh, That's why we're not together. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> My ex-wife. I mean, but you, 
but you knew, I mean, again, I know you said, man, things were bad. And I know when they're that bad, it's like there might not be enough, uh, you know, funds or whatever to get everyone or change our lives. Kids in school, you know, you don't want to break up too much. Were you, did you plan for it to work? I mean, was it, was it already on a downhill slide where you felt like, man? No, 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 no. I planned for it to work. Like everything was working. The problem is with, with me, and I, I got to take responsibility. As fast as the money came in, because it always came in, it went out. So I, you know, I was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this because I always assumed it was going to come in. So when I came back to Dallas, I was a little more conservative because I was like, I know radio. You could be popping. And then one day everybody comes up to it. They say, can we talk to you for a second? And when can we talk to you for a second means that it's over. So I didn't want to bring my family all the way out on the first contract. Like the first contract, I was like, I'm not bringing everybody out because I, I don't know if this is going to last. I had no idea it was going to last 10 years. But um. I came out here and then when I relapsed, and they've been multiple relapses, when I relapsed and started drinking again, it was still all good because I was still being funny. I was still doing my thing and everything like that. It's when you start drinking, like I said, waking up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, when you start drinking all night to the point where when you wake up, the only, re the only way you can continue with what you're doing is by having another drink in the morning time. Anybody who's ever been addicted to something knows I can't just wake up and just go to work. Like, I got to have another drink or two. So that's when the problems really occurred. Now, what was you at partying where, you know, what were your, some of your spots where you would be at that late or be out like that late at night? I used to be at the worst spots ever. It wasn't even like I'd be at some spots that I know were racist. <laughs> Like, I know they was calling me all types of shit. Like, I wasn't supposed to be there. Um, what was the name of the one spot? I can't even think of it. There were two spots I went to. There was one spot that, that was so, you could still smoke cigarettes in that bitch. Like, you literally, like, there was cat smoking <laughs> cigarettes. It's like 2018. They still smoking cigarettes inside the bar. But I would do that because everybody knew of my drinking problem. So I had to go to places where people didn't know me. Oh, okay. so I literally would have a hood up and be drinking with like some 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 rednecks that were like I knew didn't want to drink with me. Right. But that was the thing. I, I would sit there till like two, two, one thirty in the morning, go home, wake up and um, take like three, three more shots before I went to the station. And then that three more shots went to four more shots before I went to the station. Then it went to like me having some drinks in the car. Because I had to keep it going. I had to keep that level of alcoholism. I had to keep that alcohol level going at that point. Because once, like for anybody who's ever been addicted to something, once you get, it's one thing to be mentally addicted. It's another thing for your body to be physically addicted. Right. When your body becomes physically addicted, you might not want to drink, but your body says, play with me if you want. Right. Because... I would, I literally had a time period where I was like, I could go without a drink for probably three and a half hours. This is how intense it was. The shift was four hours. So I would do the morning show in like three and a half hours, I'd feel my hands starting to, starting to shape. And I feel like all of a sudden the tightness where I couldn't really talk correctly. And I'm wow. sitting there and the station had moved to the place that they're at now, and the liquor store was around the corner. So I knew we'd get off at nine o'clock, and God forbid somebody would like, we have a meeting, like somebody wants to have a meeting about something. 
because I needed to be at the liquor store. We get done at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock. It was 10 o'clock. We got done. The liquor store was open at 10 o'clock. I could swerve over, go to the liquor store, grab me three or four shots and then go to the bar that opened at 11 o'clock. This is how my time schedule was. This was get off the show, do this. But sometimes they'd be like a sponsor that wanted a meeting. And, and when I tell you, I could feel like I was about to go into a seizure. And I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And I'm just sitting there. And these guys would be like, what's your opinion on it? Like, I don't have an opinion. Like, just I just need to get the fuck out of here and go. But once I got the drinks in my system, I was like, ah, I'm good. But that was a cycle that I went through Monday through Friday. Like, get out of there at 10, get to the liquor store, go back home, throw some stuff on or whatever, change clothes or whatever, then go to the bar at 11 o'clock and then stay there. So that was the cycle that went on for about, it went on for years. I can't even tell you how many years. How did you survive? I have, man, listen, the day, <laughs> well, obviously I got fired, so I didn't, I didn't survive. Well, I mean, but like your health physically, like, you know, because your blood, you can't, you can't survive. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the funny thing is not funny, but the alcohol poisoning thing, I never thought about it. But now that I know more about it, mm -hmm. I know how close I was. Right. Like, I know how close I was and how many times I was doing interviews. And I sometimes I listen back to some of the shows. I only have like a few shows that I can listen to back to. And I'm like, y'all didn't know what I was going through. Right. Y'all didn't know how close because I finally did have a seizure years later. But I didn't know how close I was. What's the, the classic, the football game that goes on at the Cotton Bowl? Uh, so the State Fair Classic. I, I told myself, I'm going to stop drinking. And I remember I stopped probably like four days before the State Fair. And I was sweating it out myself, going through withdrawal, sweating it out myself. And we had to go to State Fair Classic. And it was the first time I walked down steps and my legs were giving out. And I said, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Like, how am I going to make it? So I went to the Cotton Bowl, and I went down the steps, like two steps, and I sat down. And I didn't know people could see, like, how fucked up I really was at that present time. And I got through the Cotton Bowl. I got through that. And um, then somebody wanted to take pictures with me. So to this day, I know that person thinks I'm an asshole. Damn. And I was like, I can't. Like at that point I gave up. I was like, I got to get to a bar because I'm about to really go. I, I didn't know what I was going through. I know now what I was going through, but I left the cotton bowl, got out of there. And this one lady had one of them golf carts and I was trying to make it to my car. I don't know who she was. She was like, you need a ride. And I said, yeah, I, I do need a ride. I sat in there and she was like this angel because I was like, there was no way I was getting to my car, got in the car, unfortunately went back to the bar and started drinking. And then, the cycle just went on. The cycle just kept going. What's the worst situation you've been in when you were drinking? Waking up with a loose steric. Mm, so you don't remember what, like, no. where were you at? I, I wish I could tell you the story. Just, you I, I just know waking up at the hospital because they do blood. They'll take blood from you if they don't, if you don't do the whole breathing thing and everything like that. And you don't, and I, I remember waking up and trying to move my arm and they were like, and the cops were there and they took the blood. And it's crazy because when people know you, like I never forget when they took everything out of my pockets, the lady hugged me 
the, she had the uniform on, whatever, police, whatever it's called. And I was in loose area. She said, and she whispered, I'm praying for you. And I was like, wow, I'm really fucked up right now. Because she was legit on some old, I'm praying for you. And, and that, was probably, that was probably one of the worst spots. There was another time, there was another time where the cops came to the car and I wasn't trying to drive away. Like the cop, I wasn't trying, I was trying to put the car in gear. I was trying to put it in park. And they all had the gun. I only know this because my lawyer showed me the video. And they had all the guns to the car. And they were giving me the warning, get out. And all I was trying to do was put it in park. I was just trying to put it in park. And when they opened the door, I rolled out. But I, I was very close to them. They was about to let off on Do you me. feel like your skin tone might have saved your life tonight? Do you think it might have helped me? No. Or you think... I'm saying a darker skin tone. When cops are saying, hey, we don't know what he's on, I've seen that same exact situation. Yeah. Go very left. It could have. Because they kept asking me, and, and uh, I don't know if this, this goes to what you're saying, they kept asking me in the video, do you speak English? Like they kept literally, they still had the guns out, do you speak English? Okay. But I'm from the East Coast, so I'm like, when you come to Texas, it's different. Like, you know, Mexicans, Hispanics in general, they were like, do you speak English? But you might have a, I mean. It, when you reach for something. And the funny thing is I was trying to put it in part. So that could have been the ending. Like y'all would have had RIP and y'all would have had comedy shows for me and stuff like that. So. On that time you woke up in Lusteric, where, do you remember where you were going before you woke up in Lusteric? Okay, I've been to Lusteric twice. One time I just went to get a Slurpee at 7-Eleven. Started with a Slurpee. That's all I wanted to do. All I did, I was sitting there drinking. I said, I just want a Slurpee. And I went to 7-Eleven and next thing you know, I was back in that process in Luce Eric and yeah, that was a crazy feeling because I'm not built. You consider alcohol drugs? Oh, absolutely. What, um, were you smoking during the time? Like weed while you were- No. You consider weed a drug? I consider weed a drug. I just don't think people understand how vicious alcohol really is because it's so accepted. Everything with alcohol is okay. Like a heroin addict or a crackhead can't go to a barbecue and be like, where's the crack at? <laughs> but an alcoholic can go like, yo, you ain't got no liquor in there? And people are like, no, of course we do. We, we got alcohol in there. There's, there's never anything. There's no function, there's no celebration, there's no sadness that isn't celebrated or mourned without alcohol. You go to a funeral, there's alcohol. You go to a birthday party, there's alcohol. A wedding, there's alcohol. It doesn't matter what it is. Like, we do this show. We take the show. If we want to celebrate, what are we going to do? Ain't nobody going to yell out, yo, we're going to smoke some crack. If, if I said, yo, let's go have some drinks. Like, we, I said, let's have some drinks. Everybody be like, let's have some drinks. It's acceptable. It's, and, and it's something that, um, it's, it's a vicious cycle because you, you don't really get to, you don't really get to, People don't really understand, even though they see everything that goes on in their families and everything that's happened, we still accept it. We'll still have liquor in our house. Ain't nobody gonna have any types of drugs. I'm not gonna say anybody. Of course, there are people who have drugs in their house, but it's not gonna be something where you can be like, you can have 
Like y'all got liquor over there, right there, sitting on top of whatever. Out and about. about. Y'all not gonna have powders of, of whatever just laying out. So even with me, the first thing I looked at, I was like, oh, they got some liquor, okay. But that's the, that's, that's the thing with alcohol. It's so accepted and so forced. It's accepted. What was your choice of alcohol? Like, what was your, your drinking, your drinking choice? It was everything, but it was vodka. I don't even know why, but it was, it was vodka. Like, any type, like, I, I still get mad now because they got all types of flavor of vodka now. They got, I saw somebody who brought, we did a show, we did the CW uh, show yesterday, they had chocolate vodka. Bitch, you got chocolate vodka? Where were these flavors at? But yeah, vodka was the choice and it was always a double shot. I don't even understand just having a single shot. Have a double shot to get it popping. And how long have you been sober? It would be, I hate keeping the numbers because I always feel that's a jinx. October 31st of 2022. And that's when I had a seizure from trying to withdraw from alcohol. Yeah, I've been sober uh, like five years now. God bless. Keep going, brother. Keep going. No, thank you. Thank you. So, like for me, you know, I battled with um, alcoholism, but I wouldn't say, I, well, I won't even say I battled. I couldn't do anything because nothing seemed like anything unless I had a drink. I didn't, I, at first it started, you wanted to have fun, right? That was my thing. I wanted, it's going to make everything funnier. And then it was like, now nothing is fun. If I don't drink, I can't enjoy myself. Was it like that for you? Or was it more so like you drunk because that's just what you, was it something attached to it? You know what irritated me to this day? So I don't want people to think I done found the cure and I'm, I'm good. What irritated me was as hard as it is to stop drinking, when you stop, is when you have to figure out why was it that you were addicted to this? So now you got to go to a whole process of trying to figure out what was it in my life that made me lean on this? So now you got to do the real work. Now you got to figure out what in your past put you in this situation that you had to lean on this drug. And that's the hard part because sometimes you don't want to deal with that. Sometimes you don't want to go back in your childhood. Sometimes you don't want to go back with your relationship with your parents or what you went through. That's the hardest work. And I still go through that today because I'm like, sometimes you really, as a human being, don't feel like dealing with it. So when people say mental health, it really is a step-by-step a -step thing trying to figure out and being honest with yourself. And then you have to be honest with other people. And you got to cut people out of your life that you love. Sometimes, which is hard as fuck to be like, yo, I can't be around you. Number one, because you won't admit to what you had to do with my addiction, which is fine because it's not your responsibility. But I have to cut you off because I know this toxic situation leads me to certain behaviors. Yeah, I used to always look at alcohol as like liquid courage or, you know, it's party time. And it's funny you tell these stories, I, you know, and, I, and I'll be honest, I. I was at a point to where I would drink uh, to, you know, two crazy situations where I just woke up at the end of the bus route on a bus. I have a car, but somehow I'm on a bus. So that means my car somewhere. I'm on a bus to the bus driver saying, hey, sir, we're at the we're, I'm done my routes. I'm, I'm getting off. I'm at the right. station where you got to go somewhere. And then another time 
downtown Dallas and come in front of whatever club, Blue or Bobo, whatever it's called now, a homeless man comes to just hand me my keys. Like, hey, man, is that, you know, hey, you all right? I'm, I'm wow. laying, laying on the floor 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. That's pretty bad. I'm like, I could be dead. So things like that let me know, okay, there is excess. Like, there's a, you know, you get the party started, but then I don't remember what happened. I'm like, where the hell am I? Excess. So I learned from your stories. Um, I have to ask, at what point at K1, with K104 did they say, this is too much? Did you miss a show? Were you drunk at the show? And who, who was, like, tapping you? Or was it Dee Dee, Dave Jade, or White Gary? Like, what came down to where they were saying, this is a problem for us because we're seeing it live on show? Was it, did you say something on live or... It's funny because because there were obvious things. I take all responsibility for me not being, but being fired. Like, I get it. And there were times, it was just obvious. Like, I was just slurred out. Like, it was just too much, you know, there's a certain I, point. I've heard a show live, literally, as I was taking my kids to school. Yeah. I'm like, man, Mike Sean sounds out of it. I'm and, here, I hear it. I mean, and that's why what I accept all the, I'm transparent with this. Listen. It, it is is what it is, and but at the same time, you let me say this correctly. You take because you know I'm talented, and you want the talent, and you want the punchlines, and you want the person to be transparent, and you want the person to be honest, and you want the audience to 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 react to what they're doing. But there's another side to it. There's another side that sometimes comes into play that you also got to accept. Now, you don't have to accept it as a corporation, but you made a gang of money off of it. Like the storyline that I gave you, you made a bunch of money off of it. Like that storyline, even when you were like, Mike sounds like he's out of it. People were tuning in to go like, Let's see, is he going to be there and what's going to happen? Because he'll tell us what happened if you allow him. So there was profit being made off my addiction. There were Now, to, to their credit, they were making so much profits that they paid for my first rehab. When they sent me off, they paid for that. Right. And in and, and all honesty, even the owner came to me and I thanked him. I was like, you know, thank you for you know, doing that. He, and he was very blunt and open. And he was like, I only did it because you're talented. Did he give you an ultimatum right then? No, he just said, you were talented. We couldn't replace you. That's why we did it. And I appreciated that honesty. That's what it was. So I feel, I don't feel bad for the radio station. I feel bad for, for listeners who liked me being on the air. This is a business. Let me tell you something. I could have been doing coke, shooting up. As long as I would have been able to perform on that microphone, I'd still have the job. So this ain't about anybody caring for Mike's well-being. It was, you, you wasn't caring about what was going on with my family, what was going on if he was arrested. If I would have been able not to slur on that station, I'd still have the job. And I'm not going at them in any way. But that's the business. Did they give you an ultimatum? Uh, ultimatum? Like, hey, one more time. Like, did you get Oh, they chances? gave me a gang of ultimatums. They gave me a gang. But, but you can't give somebody an ultimatum when you fucking up too. How was uh, rehab for you? Like, how, how did that process go? Does it help for those that may be battling addiction right now? 
Um, the rehab, my the rehab I went to was probably probably the most satisfying. Like I had never felt the stress off my shoulders ever go off the way I went. It was a place called Greenhouse. It's right here in the area, and um, I remember being there for like two or three days. And first, you got to go through the withdrawal situation, and that's that's not a fun thing. But then after that, like I was there for. 60 days. I think I was there for 60 days, 90 days. I met some real good friends. And um, it was the first time I could relax. Like I didn't have to be funny. I didn't have to go in there and feel like people were looking at me like, does he, even when you don't drink, they're like, does he smell like this? Does he smell like that? Does he, is he doing this? He's, and I remember leaving there. I was a new person, but the only thing was I didn't follow everything I had to follow afterwards. You know, I didn't follow the program in in sharing and, and getting somebody to talk to and following up with the mental health situation and the therapy and stuff like that. So, but but that first rehab was amazing. But then when you go to three or four and the cooks know your name, that's a whole thing. Yeah. Hey, Mike, you're back. You know, what's, what's going Basically, on? Basically, that's what it was. That's, that's what it was. Man, now, now Didi came in and she spoke on the situation, um, you know, briefly as far as, you know, your, your exodus out of K-104. Uh, what was your overall relationship with Dee Dee and Lady Jade um, with with dealing with this uh, on camera and off? Because this is happening live while y'all are on the air, you know, right. going in. How was how were things on the air and also off there when the cameras cut and they're like, hey, you know, that you were kind of slurring in that show. And, you know, was, was, you know, were they were they concerned off camera while on camera as well? Yeah, off the air, um, they were concerned, like, you know, people would say certain things. You know, like, you okay, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. Um, they were concerned. I mean, but 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 at the same time, and I'm I'm trying to be <laughs> because I I I because I'm not trying, I'm not in no way am I trying to go at anybody. Cause I accept every bit of the responsibility for why they let me go. But from your perspective. But it's a hypocritical thing when there are a lot of things going on. But because I have this way of whatever I do, it seems like I bring the spotlight to my shit. But there are other things going on that nobody wants to talk about. But like so, you said, it was all, if, it, if it wasn't for you actively while live slurring, right. you could have anything off camera going on. Or yeah, anything, anything, anything. You could do anything. Yeah, it's like literally there's a lot of shit that went on off the air that if I if I said if I really wanted to be on my on my bullshit right now, you'd be like, how the fuck they still got a job? If you was a uh, 80 million up. If I was 80 million up <laughs> <laughs> this would be a different interview. <laughs> this would be a totally different interview. So what are your thoughts when uh you see a lady Jake uh you know leaving a show after 19 years? Like uh did you speak with her? Do you um not saying you know what happened but like, what are your thoughts when you see that almost two decades into something and she opted out? I said, my text message to her was congratulations. See, I got fired. Right. That's the she left. And on her own terms, on, her own terms, on, on the way that she wanted to, to go out. And I'm not going to get too deep into how what happened or whatever, because I really don't know. But I said, congratulations. When you put that much work into a company and you put that many years in. And you don't feel, and I'm not saying this is how she feels, but
but you don't feel like it's being brought back. The same energy that you've given is being brought to you after being a mainstay on that show. That long. For that long. We're talking 20 years. So you, you move on. And, and, and it's, it's a lesson. Like I said, I, w- I said congratulations because you start realizing what your worth is in this market. Right, get ahead of it, yeah. Yeah, you're like, listen, this is not my life. Because that's what radio stations do. Radio stations want you to feel, and companies, not just radio stations, companies want you to feel like this is everything. When it's not. Because they will let you go in a heartbeat so when she did that, I was like, I applauded her. And I, t- I told her, I was like, go do your thing. And trust me, Lady Jade is good. So when you hear jobs and they be like, when you first get the job, they be like, we're all like a big family here. <laughs> <laughs> we're all just such a big family. <laughs> I see you trying to reel me the fuck in. I see, <laughs> I see you trying to reel me in. But now, so, you know, you you made the battle. You had to crawl back on the other side of you know that addiction. What is life looking like currently? It all had to happen like this, right? And sometimes you got to fall back. And I always, it all had to happen. I had to lose that job. I had to go through everything I had to go through, and then in order to get to where I'm at right now, there's no way I have a TV show. With Shawnee, Media Room 360 on the CW33. There's no way I have a TV show because I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been bold enough to be like, I'm doing this TV show because quiet is kept. They want you with the company, but they want you under this umbrella. They want you to pop, but they don't want you to pop, if that makes sense. Yeah. They don't want you to get too much where they realize that you're doing too much outside of the job because they realize at that point, like I said, the 80 million deep, yeah. when they realize you get to a certain point, we're like, this is my side hustle. They don't ever want the radio to be your side hustle. Right. Like, this is my side money. So, like, with, with, with stuff like that, it had to happen, and it's a blessing. It turns out, now I hate to sound like a, I hate to sound like a cliche, but it turned out to be a blessing. And with that being said, uh, you know, uh, I want to thank you for uh, having the Real Life Street Stars on the flagship ep- flagship episode. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Clap that up. Clap that up. Yeah, you was on there. You was you on there. Uh, the pilot episode of the Michael Sean uh, show. And again, the set was beautiful. The vibe was beautiful. And I do thank you for having us part of that. And y'all answered the questions. And y'all were on the flip side of the whole shit. The y'all hu- had to answer the answer. We was on the flip side. So now you're on the flip side. So let's go and go through it, man. Uh-oh. I got. I got to first and foremost get your thoughts on uh, uh, the the way the game works now. From you know, again, you've been in New York. You see how it goes. Uh, uh, Funk Flex. Yes. He's like, I'm gonna start playing Takashi's music again because I see that these rappers are not holding it down, and there's this double standard when Takashi goes in. They all go, you know, they they're also vocal, but when you see a situation like Gunna. I see a lot of rappers are not saying nothing, rather not get in it. Oh, let's wait to see what happens. And he's like, this is a double standard. So, Takashi, send me your music. What are your thoughts on the Takashi situation and the Gunner situation with the YSL as far as him plea, taking a plea deal to, it might jam up his partner. It might jam up his, his label mate, his, his right hand. I'm just, listen, y'all. I'm just going to tell y'all right now. I, I'm not qualified. 
to speak on shit like this. I'm not qualified. I'm a comedian. I'm a father. And I'm not built for any, any, any prison time. I'm not built for anything. <laughs> I, I know. I see where this is going. I'm going to tell you right the fuck now. My best friend in the world is my dude, Jay Black, right? He knows. I'm telling. <laughs> we not, we don't even incorporate me in no shit. I'm not, I always say, I'm not built to give up years of my life that I can't get back. I'm not built for it. And whoever is, God bless you, because I know, hey, Bobby Smurder, he did his time, and he was like, he did extra time <laughs> for people, and he, he did his thing. God bless. I'm not built for that shit. You don't get them fucking years back. I'm telling you up front. <laughs> I'm telling you from the door. Like, before we get in the car, like, let me, like, y'all ask me, you want to come hang out, right? Before we get in the car, I'm like, so what y'all trying to do tonight? Yeah. And they're like, we're just trying to go, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. I want to know, who do you have beef with? Because whoever you have beef with, I don't. You're right. So when we at the club and you were like, yo, they're here. I don't give a fuck if they're here. Like, I'm <laughs> yo, they're here. They're here. I'm like, okay. Oh, hold on. Did you tell me that so for... I can step away from you? <laughs> Damn, so you need me. Yeah, exactly. You need me to walk. Like, I'll Uber home. Like, I ain't got shit to do with this. Like, I don't even, like, the pressure the street code has on people, I don't even understand how you live like that. Like, I have three daughters. All I need to know is how often am I going to see them? You're my man. Like, once again, Jay Black, that's my dude. He's not my daughter. (laughs) He's not one of my daughters. If I got to pick between I'm not going to see them for 10 years or you got to do 10 years, (laughs) guess where you going? Whoever says it first, whoever, like, but that's why we know. Like, I would never bring him into no shit that I was doing. He'd never bring me into that, but... This, this, this whole thing that we have, dog, the day you die, the day you're like, let's say if somebody, you're 10 minutes from death and they know you're about, like, you know you're about to die. 10 minutes from it. And you review that I wasted 10 years. You're going to tell me, you're going to be like, good job. In my opinion, in my opinion, I'm going to be mad as fuck if I gave up 10 years and I'm 10 minutes from death. I'm not doing that. But once again, once again, people, look at me. I'm not built. I'm not built for none of that shit. I'm not built for it. So whatever it is, the only time I'm doing jail time is somebody fucks with one of my kids. My mom. Those people are on the list. Those people, I'm risking my freedom for for those people. Anybody else, I don't care how good you look. I don't care how fat your ass is. They can light you on fire. Next to me, you're like, why didn't you help me? Bitch, you're not on the list. How about that? <laughs> These are the people that I will risk my freedom for. This is the list. This is the list. Mom, three daughters. That's the list. So I got to ask then, speaking of kids, man, uh, Nick Cannon, he just recently said like he felt like he spread too thin to be there for all his kids. Do you feel like when he says that, I know it's coming from a real place, but like, Shame on you or like, hey, man, go have more because, hey, he might plan to have more. I love Nick Cannon. But when he said that, I, I said, so what? <laughs> when you was penetrating. So at six, <laughs> when you didn't pull out, did you not think maybe Christmas was going to be a little difficult to actually meet? Because how many does he have now? Ten. I thought it was 12. 12, 12, 12, 12 sorry. You got 12. Yeah. 
12, six women. You're not going to tell me at some point you're not talking about your kids like that's seven. You're right. Like, I'm, there's no way I'm remembering everybody's name. God bless. I hope everybody stays healthy. I hope everybody's good. But dog, at a certain point, like everybody was like, he's just trying to build his legacy. He's a, and he is. But somebody's going to get shortchanged in this. Kid number four is going to have beef with kid number nine. <laughs> right. And the Mariah Carey kids are separate from everybody else. The Mariah Carey kids don't even fuck with everybody else. They're like, oh, that, we, we the Mariah Carey kids. Yeah, that that dynamic is something crazy. Like, they're royalty. Yeah, oh, and, and, and they got to be mad. Like, And just think about it. When you go to school, we're vicious at school. If somebody knows your dad is Nick Cannon, they call and you eight. Like they're Damn. they're they're gonna be like what Damn. when you see your when you see your dad and, and Nick I love Nick Cannon I God bless you but dog when did you think this wasn't gonna become an issue and I'm like even with other men coming in the picture to be fathers to those kids I'm like are all these women able to date other men and get married and have new men in the kids' lives did you think about co-parenting with other men like I'm just I don't know the process dog that is hilarious I didn't we did this on a morning show check out the morning show Media Room 360 on YouTube. Make sure you check that out. I didn't even think about that. Like you gotta actually, you gotta actually have a relationship with a bunch of different dudes. Different dudes. Who? How's my daughter doing? How's my like? Because he can't be with them all. It's like, yeah, there you were friends, were cordial, and I'm glad they're cordial. But you gotta deal with cordially with some other men, possibly. And I think Nick Cannon is a great dude. I just think this is the whole situation that uh, at some point could go bad. So then I have to ask, um, there's a guy, there's an article, a guy was paying, he has 30 kids. He was paying $1.49 in child support. And he asked the judge for leniency because he's only working a minimum wage job and that's too much money coming out of his check a month for $1.49 for each kid. How out of line is he? If, if, you, if at all. Okay, okay. I got to put some pressure on the women now. You ain't asked no questions. Like if a dude, you if you got, if you're dealing with a dude and he said, you say how many kids you got? He says 18. Let's say we, we way before the third. He says 18. <laughs> he says 18. And you let him run up in you raw. That's your fault. Like wait, there's nothing left. Like I, okay. This is my experience with child support. I have, I've never paid child support. My kids have all lived with me. So I've never had the experience of the court. This, this is what they tell me. At a certain point, the fourth child, if the fourth child, you're going to get less money than the second or first child, then the sixth child, then the seventh child. This motherfucker's on 30. The money ran out at eight. Nick Cannon is making a gang of money. Like, it's, so people go like, people were laughing because they were like, it's a dollar and some, some. That makes sense. Like, what else is left after 30? But why do y'all keep letting this 30 kid have a motherfucker bust up in you? Like, why? Like, is it, like, don't, did you not ask the questions? Like, I, like at some point, women got to take responsibility for who you, who you sleep with. Just like guys, too. If the girl got seven kids, and no disrespect if you have seven kids, I have to make an evaluation. Do I really want to get involved with seven kids at the house. Like, do I really like, first of all, seven kids, like at least four of them ain't gonna like me. Like you, you're going by averages. Like at least four of these motherfuckers is still gonna like their dad. So I, I don't get, like you gotta be a responsible person at a certain point. Like, come on. A little, just a little kind of, but he, he's at 30. 
At 30, this motherfucker is, should be in a carnival. Like, he should be like, this is the man. And his kids should be like, for 25 cents, you could touch 30 kids. This is, these are all my children. <laughs> like, I don't get what, I, I, I don't understand. I can't feel bad for you. You should not be allowed to go to court. You shouldn't be allowed to go to court. Speaking of, uh, you know, people's sexual habits and what causes, what they, what the backdraws are. We uh, recently saw an interview with, well, actually several individuals, Carisha being one, uh, Young Miami, and uh, Kevin Gates. And they said uh, that they enjoy when their partner urinates on them. Um, <laughs> what do you Why think? did I get this shit? What's the game? What are you, what? The game. So what's the question? <laughs> Have I ever been beat on? Wait, what are you asking? What are your thoughts on, you know, sexual activities like yeah. golden showers? Also, let's add Glorilla to that. I know. Oh, what? And then Glorilla also. Yeah, let's add Glorilla. What did she say? She said, uh, sometimes, you know, she likes when her sexual partner ejaculates on food and then she eats it. <laughs> Dog, I'm getting old. <laughs> Like I, cause, cause, cause I, I pride myself in being like, I've said it on stage. Like, I thought I was a freak. I thought, I thought I was about that life. I really did. Like, there was nothing a woman could be like, yo, let's do this. I'm like, let's do it. What's up? I'm like, let's do it twice, right, right now. But if it's like the whole urination. Like you got you got an audacity to ask me like like you really gotta be like you really gotta be a no offense well fuck it you gotta be a bad bitch to be like yo is there any way I could pee like you could be Beyonce and I'd be like well damn how much water did you drink today like I like how do you get to that point where you feel friend, like you're good enough to I, I don't understand. But I don't judge people. Do what you do. I'm just like, once again, I, I think I'm less built for somebody peeing on me than I am for doing jail time. I think like, <laughs> but it's like, you know what I don't like? This is what I don't like about this. I don't like that they're like setting the, the table that everybody keeps putting it out there. So mind you, like eating the groceries, right? Right. That they set that table well, didn't they? That shit became normal, right? <laughs> no, 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 wait. Let's even go back to that. R. Kelly was, well, I don't want, you know, child, but anyway, but they had a thing where you're peeing on people, that's a thing, and... But this is what I'm saying. When R. Kelly did it, we were all like, whoa, whoa, that's crazy, that's crazy. Then when we had a little R&B song where somebody said eating the groceries, I was like, wait a second, ain't nobody outraged? <laughs> nobody, nobody, but what I'm saying is that they, 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 they set in the groundwork where, watch, watch, Two or three years from now, when rappers start, start saying this in their songs and nobody blinks an eye, watch, watch all this stuff is being put out there where it's going to be normal. It's going to be it's going to be like instead of like, oh, I hit it from the back. Oh, I peed on her. Like everybody literally forgets when Biggie said. After what? After our shits on the bitch. Wow. Oh, shit. 
Everybody forgot that? Oh shit, yeah. Yes. Everybody forgot? Everybody forgot what he said there? Biggie said a bunch of things. Yes. Was, uh... Watch when this becomes a normal process where dudes is like, yo, you gonna let me pee on you? Watch. I promise you, and I'm glad I'm 51 years old because I'm not gonna be part of this game. I'm out this game right now. Go ahead, go ahead. Give me so, the next on. one. You know, I know you've been married. So when you and your wife take a shower, when y'all didn't pee on each other in the shower? But you asked me that like you did it. <laughs> That's a very specific scenario. That's a very specific. No. Like, I, I just, I, I never thought that was like, and I'm telling you, I thought I was that dude. I thought I was like, I never in my life have ever, ever, while we're in the shower, taking a shower with whoever, like, if I felt something on my leg, I would have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you don't see the toilet. Like, you just gonna really, I, like, I'm not cool with that. Like, I will say it. This, you, don't, you can't cancel me for this shit. I'm not cool with that. You're not paying on me. Nah, that, on that, purpose? That, like, you ain't even do it by mistake. I guess, the, the, no, the best part about it was. Uh, you said the best part about it? No, no, no. The best part about this story <laughs> is after she did that interview, uh, they on Twitter, Diddy started trending for P Diddy. P E. No, I don't even. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm no, and everything I love. I'm telling you, the setup is so crazy. How they release these stories just so it can be normalized. I'm not saying you disgusting. I'm not saying. I'm just saying I'm not about that life. Like you are not going to ask me to to do that. That's that's all I'm saying. But they're trying to normalize. So when I tell you when when I tell you that eat the groceries thing is so hilarious to me because it's the perfect setup. How everybody got to justify things that they never wanted to talk about. Ooh. And when the song came out, everybody sang damn song. Yeah. And everybody knew exactly what they were being talked about. I love that part. Right and everybody there. was giggling. <laughs> no. So you saying if Future in a track is on some uh, shit, shit in the mouth or nothing? You think that's gonna be normalized one day? <laughs> no. Do you do you understand? Do you understand? All they gotta do is make a hot song to say. Do you know how dumb we are? That all they have to do is make a hot ass song to say some crazy shit, and we will start going along with it. What what's the what's the what's the lyric that you were the most dumbfounded by in a song? Like you heard this, you was like, I can't believe that. They let more people get away with this in rap music. Damn. Throw baby. That was good. <laughs> they put that on the radio. Dog. When Biggie, damn, rest in peace. That's, God, this couch is infamous, yo. This, there's something about this fucking couch that will have you. And Jay-Z actually answered this question and tried to justify it. But, and I, I don't want to misquote it. Uh, kidnap a kid, F him in the, and throw him over a bridge. Oh, wow. The same face I just made was when I first heard it, I said, Biggie said, Biggie said that. I'm like, we're not going to question. Like, nobody, nobody in the studio said, and there's, a, there's an interview where Jay-Z says, well, he wasn't talking about actually. I'm like, <laughs> nobody, nobody just raised their hand like, like you were in class. Like, I don't know. We probably should. And though I'm one of the people who thinks 
highly of Biggie Smalls. I'm not saying this to, to, but dog, nobody thought that was disturbing. Like nobody. <laughs> I, 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 I just that was probably one of the lyrics, and I think one of the, the music videos back in the day that we didn't think was disturbing was when Snoop and Dre, who I think are amazing, poured the 40 ounces on the chicks in the video. Oh yeah. And it's just poured it on scene. it. The classic, classic scene. It's a classic scene. Yeah. People and nobody was like, this, no, nobody we, has a daughter. Like nobody has a daughter. Yeah. Like nobody has a mom. Like nobody <laughs> thinks that this is, like this is kind of crazy, but you know. When you look at it today, it's, it's, it's definitely, uh. So I'm curious, has any woman in your life or ever, you know, asked you to do something that was like, you're like, no, I'm not doing that. Has anybody asked me to do something that I was like, no. In a sexual way. In a sexual way. Um, no, because I'm 51. So at, at, in, in, my, in my prime, wasn't nobody like peeing on nobody. So it was just no. it, like, I, I, no, like, um, I wasn't into, like, nobody ever, like, I never got that whole whipping somebody or chaining somebody. Like, I never put myself in handcuffs or no shit. Like, I thought that was just white people who did that. Like, you know, you put me in handcuffs or, or something. But nah, I never had somebody that, other than a bitch saying marry me. But <laughs> what, 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 what is something you're not going for in a relationship now that, you know, you've been through a lot of stuff, like? Not just even sexual, like just period. Just like, going for going, now. I'm not going for that. I'm really not fucking with you and your male friends. I'm 51. Like I'm not. I'm not fucking with you in in the whole. You got a bunch of dudes, you know, that you cool with and shit like that. I'm not. Like I'm not even trying to like be like part of the whole. Like you, you insecure. Okay, then I am. He's my BFF. Yeah. No. 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 Then you're not with me. But continue to be his BFF or whatever, but I'm not, the, I'm not, you know, I just think the way other dudes think, and it, it might be people like, you're a caveman, you're insecure. Okay, whatever. I know how dudes think. And I, I'm just not for the whole, you gonna call my girl and, and be like, we just gonna chit chat on the, no, we good. Yeah, and I forgot what rapper it was, or someone said, uh, and I forgot who, you got, I think it was Charlamagne who said, um, no, that, uh, that friend who, who is either acting like a girl or, you know, just, that that female zesty friend, I mean that that dude friend a female has, is not really gay. No, no, no. It, 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 it was Joe Budden. He Joe said Budden, yes, yes, Joe, Budden. Joe Budden recently said that because uh, Ari was on the phone with her best friend, which is Eric and Tay. He makes wigs or whatever. Right. And you know they were having a conversation, and Eric and Tay was like, "Ooh, poke, poke them lips out. Let me see it." And she was blowing kissy faces. Then Moneybag gets in the car. And she sits up and their conversation changes. Oh, yeah. Everything changes. And it's like, Joe Budden's like, beware of those gay friends. Dog. That really, something could be going down. That you never see with other gay men or with their boyfriend. I always go back to me being 51. The rules don't change. I don't care what you say. We say, well, yeah, but he like, he like. I don't care. And, and I'm not asking you to live like I live. I'm not asking anybody to live. My rules don't change. If he possesses a dick, I am not cool. I don't care if he can come in the house spinning and then I don't care. If I, I'm not, I'm not, and I, I ain't gotta care. Like if you don't want to be in a relationship with me, I'm cool, but I'm not, I'm not doing that whole, yeah, yeah, I'm not playing those games. But she has like her own fans. 
Who has OnlyFans? That I'm dealing with? Yeah. We not dealing with the fuck? I'm 51. I'm not playing these games with you. She's like, well, I'm just showing my feet. Bitch, I don't care. I don't care if you're just showing your feet. But hey, what if the what if what if the check is the highlight of her life? God bless. <laughs> go, go get that check. And she's like, but I'm just, I'm just, no, but this is why, this is why, guys, just be honest and upfront in the beginning on what you with and what you're not with. I'm not doing an OnlyFans of any sort. I don't care if you're you're preaching Bible scriptures. It's on OnlyFans. Like, Jesus don't want to be on OnlyFans. Like, I'm not dealing with any of that shit at all. Like, I'm not at all. Like, I'm good. That's why. It's always the font of OnlyFans. I feel it's hellacious. Um, Before we get out of here, I got to ask, because I'm just curious. Uh, LeBron right now has played with nine, against nine father and son combos, where he played with their father while they were in the league, and now he's playing against their sons while he's in the league. And they're saying LeBron may actually make it to where he's playing with his son right. in the league. I'm just curious on your thoughts as far as LeBron being this old, playing at this level. There's, there's no way to explain it. Like what we're seeing. Okay, listen, y'all. I'm 51. I get you, Jordan fans. I understand. <laughs> I understand how upset you get. But under, he's 38. Mm. And he's dropping 30, 35, 40. At 38, Michael Jordan was literally coughing on cigars. <laughs> like, can we just let it be? Like, let it be. At the height of Michael Jordan's career, if you want to say he was better than LeBron, I get it. But overall career, how can y'all argue of what he's doing, right? What he's doing is something we've never seen never before. Seen. He's, he's in uncharted waters. Duh, he's doing stuff right now against people's kids. <laughs> Like what you just said, father-son combinations. Like the one game, the young boy came up to him and said, yo, you played with my father. He's like, what? You played the first game with my father, right? And he was like, why are you trying to make me feel? He said, you feel old, don't you? And you know what LeBron did? He dropped 48 on him. Yes. <laughs> Your father don't remember his name. He just dropped 48 on you. Dog, that is ridiculous. I don't care about the, like, the game ain't the same, the game ain't this, the game ain't that. He, he's literally still in the top five in the game right now at 38 years old. Like, stop. That's crazy. That's crazy. So speaking of Michael, then, I'm just curious on your thoughts on Michael's son with Scottie Pippen's wife. Did, Yo, that segue was crazy. Uh, <laughs> you threw it up. <laughs> what, are you th- what are your thoughts on? Does this, take, crazy does this take away anything from Jordan's legacy? or Does it add to Scottie Pippen's legacy or take away from? Before you answer that question, who is more legendary in your opinion, Future or Scottie Pippen? Who's more legendary? Yeah. I don't think Future is legendary to begin with. You don't think Future is legendary? I think Future's dope. But Scottie, like, this is the dude that was part of six championships. And I mean, but Future is the dude who slept with. Scottie Pippen's wife. The first I mean, but, 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 he was but, the first No, but, but my thing is like, and I, I hate to be real with like, even whoever I'm married to, somebody slept with her. And somebody's going to sleep with her afterwards. Well, no, why are you with her? No, 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 no. Why are you with her? Not, not. But if we actually put the NBA roster, we put the NBA roster, we had all the facts and we had all the facts on everybody whose wife got knocked off by somebody. 
it would balance everything out. And, and then if we if we started if we started putting the roster on NBA players that slept with guys that were on their teams' wives, then it really so like like I, I, there's no way I would put Scotty I would put Future on the same level. It, uh, let me ask you this: So is Future in any of your top fives? In my top five? Yeah, is any of rapper top five? Mm-hmm. Do you think Future is like the greatest at any one thing as a rapper? No. Okay, well, I believe Scotty's one of the greatest defenders in basketball. Oh, I, I don't believe that either, though. Scotty is like way down there. I well, think. then that's when <laughs> that's when your mic should be turned off because guys, <laughs> because if you don't put, if you got to understand something, since we, I don't want to turn said, this in. Because you said the greatest defenders. Like. No, I'm saying what he is one of the greatest. If Scotty played right now in the NBA, he'd make twice what he made back then. Because he would be the guy that would have to cover LeBron. He would be the guy that would have to cover. They'd put him on Giannis on, on the wing. They'd put him on the best offensive players. They'd put him on, on Steph. Do you think Steph really wanted Scottie Pittman to actually cover him in Scottie's prime? Uh, you know a lot about basketball. No, no, I do. I do. <laughs> because let's remember, let's remember, Mike, in, in, in uh, game seven against Detroit, Scottie got a migraine. And all Mike had to do was win one game to go to the NBA Finals. He couldn't do it without Scotty. The next year, Scotty was there, and they swept Detroit. So I think we underrate Scotty. So that's why I'm thinking when you when you bring Future and Scotty, it ain't even saying like give me a rapper like a Nas or somebody that you compare Scotty to. Don't don't and no disrespect to Future, even though I know it's gonna be taken as disrespect. I'm not disrespecting, but I, I, I don't think Future, he's on that level. Future, I just uh, we had a. Uh, an argument about who was more legendary, and uh, I, I said okay, Future. No, said that he said Scottie Pippen, but yeah, he didn't want to. He didn't want to have an argument when we had them young boys in there, and everybody <laughs> said, and everybody said Future. But my thing, <laughs> no, but my whole thing with that, then, then if you're not gonna put him in your top five of rappers or top five in any category, I don't know how you compare him with Scotty. Like I don't, I don't get that. So wait, so you gotta answer. Oh, go ahead. Because Scott is not in nobody top five. <laughs> no, understand, un- understand, like understand. Michael Jordan, understand this. Michael Jordan, when he left, when him and Scotty separated, right? Right. Michael Jordan went to the Wizards right. and never made the playoffs. Scotty went to Portland and Houston, and in Port in Portland, he made the Western Conference Finals. Now, let me give you one more point with Michael Jordan. When Michael Jordan went on a sabbatical, right? And he went, they won more games without him during a regular season with Scott. That's a fact. So I'm just saying, though, it's Michael. And I'm not saying Scotty's better than Mike. I'm not saying. No, I'm not not, saying. We're saying saying Michael. We're saying Kobe. We're saying LeBron. Pippen? No, but people, (laughs) this is funny. Ask people who played against him. Ask people who played against When they played, Scotty had to cover the best player on the other team. Because defensively, that's how amazing he was. Dog, he was a freak. He was 6'7 with the arm span of like almost like 6'10. And he was athletic. Like if you look at his numbers, his numbers are crazy. He's just not a he's not a sportscaster. He's not a you got bar- But see, that's my point. He don't have commercials. He didn't have a commercial saying I could dream dream like, you know, like he didn't have commercials. Like you, you, the disrespect for Scotty is And I'm a Knicks fan. I hate the Bulls. I'm a Knicks fan. Wait a minute. So it, it goes back to the question. Michael Jordan's son taking down Scotty Pippen's wife. What? 
Does this take away from Scotty's legacy at all? <laughs> This take away from it sounds like you it know what we should have stayed with that question. You're right. We should have stayed with that question. It sounds like no. That was the yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You. You kind of now the answer is more important now. Does it take away from Scotty's legacy? And at first I was gonna say no. Now I'm gonna be like yeah, yeah. That, that's fucked God up. Damn. That's horrible. Oh man. God now damn. I'm like that's horrible. <laughs> Michael Sean in the building, man. That's hey, for those that want to follow your movement, follow everything you have going on. I want to tell them about all the shows, the morning show, and everything that's coming up. Uh, go and lay some down as far as everything you have going on, um, whether even comedy uh, pull-ups in 20, uh, 2023, the shows that you're doing and what you plan on doing. Let us know kind of what you got going on. All right, this is how I'm going to run down the thing. We do a morning show every morning, Monday through Friday, on Media Room 360 on YouTube. So get to that, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. We rock out, Michael Sean and the Takeover Legends. We now have a TV show on the CW33 right here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, shout out to Big Bing's Break Room. They start on Saturday afternoons from 12 to 1230. Yep. Then the Michael Sean Show from 1230 to 1 o'clock. So make sure you check that out. Then follow me at Mike Sean Comedy on Instagram and check out all the comedy shows that I'm doing across the country from the East Coast, West Coast, right here in Dallas. We'll start rocking that out. And um, did I cover everything? I did a good job. I covered uh, everything. Instagram, but also you're, you're on Twitter. You're on, are you on Snapchat, TikTok? I'm on TikTok. I'm not heavy on TikTok. I'm more use TikTok to watch other shit on TikTok. Like I'm not doing throwing balls and catching them and doing all that. Like, I'm not <laughs> throwing invisible balls. Like, I don't know who. I don't know what assignment it was. I understand the assignment. I don't know, but but I watch. I scroll and I watch the shit. I do watch. It <laughs> I don't know who's grading the assignment. I don't know how that works out. Oh but. man, uh, any shout outs you want to give? Uh, let me shout out uh, my whole crew: Jay Black, Sexy Mo, uh, Shawnee Scott. And the entire squad that rocks out with a shout out to Big Bing, shout out to Action, um, and all that. So other than that, and shout out to my man DJ Cam, and all the comedians out there who rock out and do their things. And that's good. That's it. That's all I got. Hey, man, everybody give it up right now, man. Michael Sean. Hey, man, we thank you so much for coming and sitting down on the couch, man. Right, you might want to just go and take it with you. We'll get another one. I ain't taking this couch with me. Like, I felt kind of awkward. Like, I felt like I should have been like this and taking my shoes off. <laughs> man, it was a real blessing. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to come rock with us, man. Hey, man, this is the best part. You are a real-life street star. Hey. Yes. Shout out to Real Street Stars, nigga. Moon. Hey.